Jean Mayer for Labour is a former community and youth worker, as well as a campaigner against social injustice who's lived in Portobello for well over 30 years. She's taken over as local councillor for Maureen Child, who represented the ward for many, many years. As we'll hear right from the start, she's been given the challenging role as convener of the Housing, Homeless and Fair Work Committee. However, it's not as though she's completely new to the workings of the council. For nine years, she was business manager for the Labour Group and then for the council leader. So she's well practised in putting party politics into effect. However, I started by asking her how she was coping now, being on the front line rather than the support role. People often ask me that, and the way I describe my learning curve is that it's not so much steep as vertical. So I found it, I have to confess, extremely demanding, exciting, exhilarating. And when I started to feel, rightly or wrongly, that I kind of knew what I was about and what contribution I could make, I started to feel that I could make a difference and I felt very positive about that. So it's been a very complicated journey, not least because I suppose, to be frank, I expected to be elected, not least because Maureen Child had got such an excellent record for Labour in Portobello Craig Miller. But I hadn't expected what happened next. And what happened next is that you're a committee convener of, according to my notes, the Housing, Homelessness and Fair Work Committee. That's correct. Isn't that a bit like, how shall I put it, jumping in at the deep end? That's exactly what it's, what it's like. It's like jumping in the deep end when you don't know how to swim and you don't have any flotation aids. Except that's not quite true because I did have a lot of aids in the sense of many colleagues within the Labour group in the council who gave me a lot of advice and support. And of course, officers. And I've learned such a lot about the city and I've also learned about how incredible some of the officers are in their dedication to what are very complex problems in the city, particularly in relation to housing and homelessness. You know, one of the things I've come across just um, in preparing for this is oh. a photograph of you in a hard hat oh, and yes. an article about the sustainable affordable housing that has been built in Edinburgh. That was out in West Granton and I was breaking ground (laughs) and as part of that I was taken round this huge site out there and it's a collaboration between the council and a private developer but I was so impressed by the fact that both sides told me about the respect they had for each other and how they'd worked together to achieve what's going to be a really magnificent Granton waterfront development. I mean, it will have some apartments and houses that will be for sale. That's fine because the plan is for it to be a mixed development. So there'll be folk on middle incomes, there'll be affordable rented property, there'll be a huge mixture and there'll be this is one of the new terms that I've learned, placemaking. That means that not only are 
houses being slammed up, so to speak. And I'll say something in a minute about the standard to which they're being built. But also there are public squares, there are places where shops are going to be so that people don't have to go very far to get what they need. Schools, doctor surgeries, all of these things. And it's so exciting. And it's this combination of really dedicated people building to a really high standard, to a really high environmentally friendly standard so that people will be able to live in warm, safe homes with everything they need, ideally within this 20-minute neighbourhood idea. Yeah, I was just com coming to that because it sounds as though the 20-minute uh, neighbourhood is actually being built in to that particular development. Correct. I mean, it's astonishing because the council owns vast swathes of land out there. Well, what seemed to me to be vast swathes walking around it. I also learned what hectares meant in reality. With fabulous waterfront views, incidentally, nobody had really taken advantage of those in the past because that part of the city has always been kind of disregarded. So it's really exciting. Now you talked about people in what we've talked about sustainable affordable housing mm. which are built to a high standard and will be mm. warm and so forth mm. however yes we are living in a time when even people here in the relatively affluent part of Portobello yes know they're going to be facing financial difficulty because yes. of the cost of fuel the rising yes. inflation there are other parts of the Portobello Craig Miller Ward which are going to be suffering even more yes that's absolutely right one of the dilemmas that I've got at the moment as the convener of housing homelessness and fair work is to do with council rents. And I don't know if you know, but in the la for the last two years, largely because of the pandemic and its effects, there's been a rent freeze so that there isn't such a great burden on tenants brought about by an increase in rents. The other factor is the Scottish Government has just passed legisl emergency legislation to institute a rent freeze during this current year. So we have that in principle, if you like, recognising the burden it could place on tenants. The dilemma comes about because what that in turn means is that because Edinburgh relies on its rental income, to be able to borrow in order to build and retrofit housing, which is what Edinburgh substantially needs, we will, will not have the resources with a rent freeze to be able to do that. So it's a massive dilemma, because if we can persuade the Scottish Government to recognise Edinburgh's unique housing... I, I call it a housing crisis, and I don't think that that is an exaggeration. There are parts of the city where we've continued with a programme of retrofitting homes and tenants tell us that it's saving them huge amounts of money because of what we've been able to do. And we want to do more of that. Okay, let's move away from that because you're on another committee as well, which is the culture and communities one. I am. And I can't yeah. help but wonder whether you've actually learned from the community spirit that we have here in, in Portobello. One of the first things I said in that committee was that what I wanted to achieve, recognising we have huge cultural events and a huge cultural offering, and 
my aim is to bring that into local communities but I think in places like Portobello and Craig Miller we already have a magnificent cultural life that I think we should be offering in reverse if you like I mean I've lived in Portobello now for 36 years and it's changed dramatically to the good to the better Craig Miller has changed beyond recognition, in, particularly in some of the areas. And that's all because there are so many talented people and so many groups drawn together. And I suppose in answer to your question, to me, we could create a, an enormous synergy where we offer to the international festival on all these cultural events what we have to offer. I'm just thinking of all the comments that I uh, see to do with the town hall. I mean, there is a venue which is crying out to be used. In fact, I went to the consultation about that, and that was one of the recommendations. So that would be a venue, particularly during the summer, but at other times of the year too. So I think that's going to be a fantastic opportunity because we've got the spaces as well, haven't we, as well as the people. We've got Belfield too, which could be a kind of smaller venue. We've got and the wash house as well. And the wash house. You know, we can keep them going because, of course, community centres are in a very difficult position because of the cuts to public spending that have been imposed and are going to be imposed to an even greater level soon. But yeah, we've got to hold on to these. And the library, you know. Look at the book festival that we just had. We have people, we have internationally renowned authors coming and sitting alongside local authors, somebody round the corner on Bedford Terrace who's, who's written a children's book about life with a Down syndrome yes, sister. Yes, Henry was the subject of yes. the uh, podcast about oh, four was weeks it? ago. Yeah. Oh, was it? Well, I've got my badge on my jacket over there. It's that synergy and that wonderful creativity and energy that comes from these kinds of events. It's magic. Can I take you Sorry, I'm uh, down, <laughs> no, down a slightly different route, which yeah. actually links both of your committees together? All right. Because one of the things that the Scottish Government has passed and Edinburgh is implementing is the short-term let legislation. Yes. My wife and I actually do have a place in town which is let out primarily to visiting academics and business people. Yes, yeah. But the person who runs that said basically if all of those are refused planning permission, yes. which is a possibility, bango the festival, she said. That's very interesting because I certainly don't expect that to be the case. Largely because there's nothing to stop people from renting out their spare rooms or actually in my son's case, planning to leave his flat and come and stay with us. <laughs> for a couple of weeks in the summer and rent out the flat. So I think there'll be all sorts of creative responses to things like the festivals. And just to address the question of short-term lets, I do understand people's concerns and I've been approached by people in Portobello who run short-term lets. In most cases, these will carry on, but under license because to me, it's all about what kind of city do we want to have. And there are areas of the city where if you walk along some streets, like Grindley Street, for example, if you look on all the stair doors, you count the, the key boxes, there'll be 10, 8, 10 key boxes on each stair. Do we want a kind of city, like a donut city, 
where the only people who are in the centre are either wealthy people who can afford the inflated house prices there and visitors who are of course extremely welcome but no kind of ordinary people living there, a bit like kind of Edinburgh Disneyland and all the people who do the work, the cleaners, the hospital workers, the office workers, everybody lives on the outside of the city and that's not the kind of city that I think anybody wants to live in. So it's about that question, what kind of city do we want to live in? You know, we want to have a collective vision that we can all um, subscribe to. Okay, let's come back to our local area. There have been slightly scary articles in some newspapers warning that because of climate change, Mm. parts of Portobello could be underwater as soon as 2030. Mm -hmm. Now, the arithmetic for that just doesn't add up. But we are talking as a possibility further down the line. How concerned are you about climate change and how seriously does the City of Edinburgh Council take it? I'm extremely, personally, extremely concerned about climate change. And I'm particularly concerned about my children and my grandchildren because we've got to think, of course, it goes without saying, long-term about this. The council, for what it's worth, takes its obligations in that respect extremely seriously. I can't pretend to know a huge amount about the kind of sea defences that are going to be put in place, but clearly it's got to be something, in terms of Portobello's defences, it's got to be something we can't work on alone. Clearly we're going to have to work with surrounding, you know, East Lothian, the kind of authorities around the Firth I'm just Port. thinking of um, something that my colleague Hazel reported on back at the start of the year, mm. which is that Musselburgh, rather than burning their Christmas trees, mm. we actually took them out and buried them in the sand. I mean, that's the sort of thing that we could think about here. We could. One of the things that's been impressing me recently, and I'm glad you said at the start that I was elected just six months ago, because this is another thing that I'm learning about. But we do have an awful lot of expertise, as it happens, in Portobello, around the whole business of the climate emergency, but particularly about the kind of solutions that are available to us. And those ideas can feed into aspects of what the council does. So we want to be open to all that kind of suggestion. But I can't pretend to know a huge deal about it, David, so I don't want to pretend to when I don't. But on the other hand, something that a lot of us here in Portobello are interested in doing in terms of our own bit Mm. is actually getting out of our cars, uh, using cycles, um, other kinds of wheel devices, or or using the the bus service more frequently. That takes us on to some very local issues, including controlled parking zones, including the frequency and reliability of public transport services, making the streets walker friendly as well as for cyclists and, and yeah, wheelchairs. You think, you think of Marlborough, Marlborough Street and Regent Street, for example, a mother with a buggy couldn't mm. actually get up or down them other than walking in the street, or somebody with a disability and so forth. And even worse, a fire engine couldn't get down there. Absolutely, and I I can also say a grandmother with a buggy from personal experience of that. There was a policy and strategy committee, and I'm a member of that committee too. I asked that question about what we're going to be doing about pavement parking, for example. 
to me, that's something that's been apparent for years, that it's been a problem all the time that I've lived here, more or less, but it's getting more and more acute. So that's one of the issues where getting around the place, making it an attractive and appealing place to walk about in. But also, actually, equally importantly, there was a, some of the streets are kind of no-go streets for people who are, like my husband happens to be on crutches at the moment. Well, there are streets that he couldn't get down. There was one lady who spoke to me who couldn't get, because she's in a wheelchair, up to the doctor's surgery from where she lives without having to basically scoot up the middle of the street. Well, that is unacceptable. We can't have that. They're basically taking their lives in their own hands. Precisely. And also, my grandchildren were visiting. On one occasion, I was forced to walk into the road with them. Now, what's that teaching them about, apart from anything else, road safety, you know? We've got to get people out of their cars. But David, there's a lot of resistance to that. Oh, yes, we can see it on 40 people. You know, we try the carrot approach, the carrot and stick approach, and I think that's really important. We try to make it easy for people, for example, to take public transport or to walk. But sometimes I'm starting to think maybe we need to use more of a stick because this isn't a joke. You know, the most recent United Nations report about the climate emergency is terrifying. We've gone beyond where we can maintain a commitment to 1.5 degrees of warming. I'm not entirely sure that people fully register the implications of that. I don't know how to convince people. I mean, there are so many tipping points. We're very close to the point where the tip yes. is going to go the wrong way. Absolutely, absolutely. But believe it or not, there are still people who deny that that's the case. I was at a meeting where there were people who just... There was a minority, but still people who seemed to think, well, what's the problem? If I want to use my car to go somewhere, then I'll use it. It's not that they were nasty or unpleasant people. They weren't. <laughs> the problem about sea level rise, as yeah. it is at the moment, is it's rising at three millimetres a year. Yeah. You can't detect that with your eye. Yeah. Young people seem to me to grasp fully the implications of all of this and that's where my hope lies and that kind of brings me if it's all right to say so to one of my big concerns at the moment and just slightly moving away from the question about climate, the climate emergency is young people because there are lots of factors including the fact that during the pandemic young people made a great deal of sacrifices to protect those of us who are more vulnerable their schooling was interrupted. The services that they'd got used to were all stopped. Schools weren't operating. And I think the consequences now include an alarming number of young people who are not going to school, who are still absenting themselves from schools. And I think that we, if young people are going to be the hope, then we've got to find a way of investing in them, uh, including financially, of course, in terms of the services that we offer to people. But speaking as a former youth worker myself, I've seen how effective youth work can turn people's lives around. And I've seen it in Craig Miller at the Jack Kane Centre, and I'm sure it goes on in Portobello too. But I do think we need to pay serious attention to what offering we have for young people. We've seen what happens when young people at a loose end come and 
gather on the promenade and on the beach and they've always done that and it's always been lovely but sometimes it tips over into something that's just unacceptable. People gathering tell me that you know with good intervention I don't want to stop people young people from gathering on the beach and the promenade but I want to make sure that it's not that they're there in order to make mischief or they're bored and, and do things they shouldn't because of that. And that we're offering them purposeful, creative and resourceful things that will develop them rather than reduce their life chances. I want to bring this to an end in a, in a moment, but before that you, you talk about the prom in particular. Yeah. And there is this balance to be struck between the pedestrian and the cyclist. Yes, that is a tricky one and we need to have more respect on both sides. I have had personal experience of um, rather foul language from a cyclist who thought that cyclists have priority on the promenade. And I'll tell you why. Because you know the circular signs on the lampposts, the cyclist symbol is above the pedestrian symbol so he said that meant that he had a right of way and that my grandchildren and I, and I should get out of his way i mean it's a safe space for small children and young people to play about without having to be worrying about you know cars and being run over by vehicles Maybe we need a speed limit for cyclists along the prom. Now, that's just me thinking out loud, but... You're not the only is... person who's thought that, no. <laughs> I'm sure not. I've got many creative minds in Portobello. OK, I want to bring this to an end now. You're in this post as councillor until 2027. What would you like to have achieved in that five-year period? In terms of the bigger issues, one of the things I'd like to achieve is to be able to persuade the Scottish Government that the funding settlement for Edinburgh is insufficient and unfair because Edinburgh per capita has the lowest settlement from the Scottish Government of any authority. I think the perception of Edinburgh is that it's a wealthy city and of course it is but it, that's not the only story about Edinburgh. There's a, a wider story about people who are marginalised and the gap between the rich and the poor in the city is a massive concern for me anyway. So if I could achieve something long term where the funding settlement was fairer so that we were able to build the kind, literally build, but also metaphorically build, the kind of city we want. We know what needs to be done. We don't have the means fully to be able to do it. And that's not fair, and that's something that I think needs to be rectified. We're expecting to hear from the other two councillors, Alice Mumford for the Green Party and Tim Jones for the Conservatives, before the end of the year. And that's it for this week. As always, if you have an idea about people doing interesting things, then drop us an email at theportypodcast at gmail.com or contact us through social media. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.